Welcome to the DPDT podcast. Today is Sunday, March 13, 2016, and this is episode number two. In case you wonder why there is such a big gap between the first episode and today's episode, life has been just so busy for me, I could not find time to do a podcast until today. Anyway, enough of that. Our program will start with Buddhist news around the world, followed by a reading from the book, The Teaching of Buddha, published by Texas Buddhist Association. Rally for Buddhist monk who was mistaken for Muslim and attacked. A rally was organized on Friday to show support for the Buddhist monk who was attacked in Hood River, Oregon. Organizers said that more than 150 people showed up to light candles, sing together, and celebrate a more tolerant and peaceful community. The attack took place while the monk, Kozen Samson, was walking his dog and wearing traditional Buddhist brown robes. Samson told a TV station that the attacker hit him in the face and then knocked his head into the frame of a car. The man then dropped an F-bomb about Muslims. Despite his ordeal, Samson only had sympathy for his attacker. He said, We want to live in a place that's open and free and filled with heart. We want to live in a place that doesn't discriminate against any minority. Talking about discrimination. Member of the Unified Buddhist Church of Vietnam once again threatened with eviction. Security police in the central city of Hue, Vietnam, are threatening to forcibly evict Buddhist youth leader Lee Gong Gao from his home because of his support for the independent Unified Buddhist Church of Vietnam. In a letter to the Vietnam Committee on Human Rights, Mr. Lee reported that security police were forcing him to move out of the flat located on 154 Fanwood Joe Street, Hue, where he has lived for the last 13 years. Over the past month, Mr. Lee has been subjected to threats, harassment, and interrogation. Landlords in Hue have been warned not to let Mr. Lee rent or risk having electricity and water cut off. On March 7, Mr. Lee has sent a letter to authority protesting the unfair treatment. The Vietnam Committee on Human Rights has forwarded the case of Mr. Lee to the office of the UN High Commissioner on Human Rights in Geneva. Hmong arrested for illegally keeping a baby elephant. A monk in Sri Lanka was arrested for keeping a baby elephant without a valid license at his temple. According to his temp lawyers, the venerable Uduwi Damas Loka Thera 
posted bail and was released so that he could attend a funeral of a top Sri Lankan monk. The variable is due to appear in court on March 17. Group that protested against the Dalai Lama disbanded after it was found to be backed by China's Communist Party. A group called International Shutan Community, or ISC, has called off a campaign of harassment against the Dalai Lama. The ISC also announced on its website that it has disbanded. These actions were a result of a Reuters investigation that uncovered a cozy relationship between the ISC and the Communist Party of China. In fact, the Reuters investigation showed that China's rulers paid ISC members to stage protests and to coordinate activities to discredit the Tibetan spiritual leader. Most of the protesters have been Western recruits, and the protests seem to have shared the same patterns. Noisy protesters following the Dalai Lama everywhere he travels, reciting texts against the Nobel laureate that were in line with Beijing's policy towards His Holiness. The ISC is registered in California, USA as a charity, and its members claim to fight for religious freedom. However, a leaked internal Communist Party of China's documents show that China values ISC as an important weapon against the Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama called for more interreligious dialogue at Buddhist centers. During a speech at Deer Park Buddhist Center in Wisconsin, USA, on March 6, His Holiness the Dalai Lama called on Buddhist centers to host academic classrooms and interreligious dialogue. The Dalai Lama said it would be better if Buddhist centers were not only temples for worship, but centers of learning. The Dalai Lama also suggested that Buddhist centers initiate interreligious dialogue. As many virtues of Buddhism can be found amongst Christianity, Judaism, Hinduism, and Islam. The Dalai Lama has previously warned against the downfalls of religious division and urged for Buddhism to be brought into academia. Communist China laid out the rule for becoming a living Buddha.
according to LA Times, China's State Religious Affairs Bureau has laid out ten steps to approve Buddhist reincarnation that includes applying for his or her own reincarnation and getting an approval from the atheist government. Also, according to LA Times. This seemingly comical move by Beijing shows that communist China attempts to control all aspects of life. Also related to China, Tibetan monk burns to death in Kazi protest. Kaosan Wandu, a monk of the Mares Soka. Ariyalin Monastery, cell immolated at around 4 p.m. on February 29th, near his monastery in the Kazi, Tibetan Autonomous Prefectures County. While he was burned, he called out for Tibet's complete independence. A source told. Radio Free Asia. The source also added that witnesses to Wandu protests intervened, intending to take him to Sichuan Province capital for treatment. His action would bring to one hundred and forty-four, the total number of burnings by Tibetans. Living in China, since the wave of fury protests calling for Tibetan freedom and the returning of the exiled spiritual leader, the Dalai Lama began in two thousand and nine. Meanwhile, a young Tibetan student living in India set himself on fire on Monday to protest China's rule in Tibetan areas. After telling his parents that he had hoped to do something for the cause of Tibet, a Tibetan source in exile told Radio Free Asia, "I want His Holiness the Dalai Lama to live long and for Tibet to achieve its independence," the young student said. After these two burning events. A Tibetan spiritual leader urged Tibetans not to self-immolate, posting on his Facebook page. The Kamapa Ochiwen Tringli Dochi noted that despite the nearly 150 Tibetans inside and outside of Tibet who have self-immolated to make a strong statement against Chinese rule. And call for Tibet's independence. No one in the international community has responded to those acts in ways that help the Tibetan cause. Most protests feature demands for Tibetan freedom and the return of the spiritual leader, the Dalai Lama, who has lived in exile in India since 1959. That was all the news for today's podcast. The second half of today's podcast 
will be the sharing of Buddhist Dharma, and I would like to share with you a book called The Teaching of Buddha. The Teaching of Buddha, Chapter 1, Shakyamuni Buddha, 1. The Life of the Buddha. The Shakya clansmen well along the Rohini River, which flows among the southern foothills of the Himalayas. Their king, Suddhodana Gautama, established his capital at Kapilavasu, and they had a great castle built and ruled wisely, winning the acclaim of his people. The queen's name was Maya. She was the daughter of the king's uncle, who was also the king of a neighboring district of the same Shakya clan. For twenty years, they had no children. But one night, Queen Maya had a strange dream in which she saw a white elephant entering into her womb through the right side of her chest, and she became pregnant. The king and the people looked forward with anticipation to the birth of a royal child. According to their custom, the queen returned to her parents' home for the birth, and on her way, in the beautiful spring sunshine, she took a rest in the Lumbini garden. All about her were Ashoka blossoms. In delight, she reached her right arm out to pluck a branch, and as she did so, a prince was born. All expressed their heartfelt delight with the glory of the queen and her princely child. Heaven and earth rejoiced. This memorable day was the eighth day of April. The joy of the king was extreme, and he named the child Siddhartha, which means every wish fulfilled. In the palace of the king, however, delight will follow quickly by sorrow. For after several days, the lovely Queen Maya suddenly died. Her younger sister, Mahaprasjapati, became the child's foster mother and brought him up with loving care. A hermit called Asita, who lived in the mountains not far away, noticed a radiance about the castle. Interpreting it as a good omen, he came down to the palace and was shown the child. He predicted, This prince, if he remains in the palace, when grown up, will become a great king and subjugate the whole world. But if he forsakes the court life to embrace a religious life, he will become a Buddha, the savior of the world. At first, the king was pleased to hear this prophecy, but later he started to worry about the possibility of his only son leaving the palace to become a homeless recluse. At the age of seven, the prince began his lessons in the civil and military arts. 
but his thoughts were more naturally tended to other things. One spring day, he went out of the castle with his father. Together, they were watching a farmer at his plowing when he noticed a bird descended to the ground and carried off a small worm which had been turned up by the farmer's plow. He sat down in the shade of the tree and thought about it, whispering to himself, Alas, do all living creatures kill each other? The prince, who had lost his mother so soon after his birth, was deeply affected by the tragedy of these little creatures. This spiritual wound deepened day by day as he grew up. Like a little scar on a young tree, the suffering of human life became more and more deeply ingrained in his mind. The king was increasingly worried as he recalled the hermit prophecy and tried in every possible way to cheer the prince and to turn his thoughts into other directions. The king arranged the marriage of the prince at the age of 19 to the princess Yashodarahara. She was the daughter of Buddha, the lord of Devadaha castle, and a brother of the late Queen Maya. For ten years, in the different pavilions of spring, autumn, and the rainy season, the prince were immersed in rounds of music, dancing, and pleasure. But always his thoughts returned to the problem of suffering, as he pensively tried to understand the true meaning of human life. The luxuries of the palace, this healthy body, this rejoicing youth, what do they mean to me, he thought. Someday we may be sick, we shall become aged. From death there is no escape. Pride of youth, pride of health, pride of existence, all thoughtful people should cast them aside. A man struggling for existence will naturally look for something of value. There are two ways of looking, a right way and a wrong way. If he looks in the wrong way, he recognizes that sickness, old age, and death are unavoidable but he seeks the opposite. If he looks in the right way, he recognizes the true nature of sickness, old age, and death, and he searches for meaning in that which transcends all human sufferings. In my life of pleasure, I seem to be looking in the wrong way. Thus, the spiritual struggle went on in the mind of the prince until his only child, Rahula, was born when he was 29. This seemed to bring things to a climax. But, he's then, but he then decided to leave the palace and look for the solution of his spiritual unrest in the homeless life of a mendicant. He left the castle one night with only his charioteer, Chandaka, and his favorite horse, the Snow White, Kantaka. 
His anguish did not end, and many devils tempted him, saying, You would do better to return to the castle, for the whole world would soon be yours. But he told the devil that he did not want the whole world. So he shaved his head and turned his steps toward the south, carrying a begging bowl in his hand. The prince first visited the hermit Pragava and watched his ascetic practices. He then went to Arada Kalama and Uraka Ramaputra to learn the methods of attaining enlightenment through meditation. But after practicing them for a time, he became convinced that they would not lead him to enlightenment. Finally, he went to the land of Magadha and practiced asceticism in the forest of Uruvila in the banks of the Nairajana River, which flows by the Gaya village. The methods of his practice were unbelievably rigorous. He spurred himself on with the thought that no ascetic in the past, none in the present, and none in the future ever has practiced or ever will practice more earnestly than I do. Still, the prince could not realize his goal. After six years in the forest, he gave up the practice of asceticism. He went bathing in the river and accepted a bowl of milk from the hand of Suchara, a maiden who lived in the neighboring village. The five companions who had lived with the prince during the six years of his ascetic practice were shocked that he should receive milk from the hand of a maiden. They thought him degraded and left him. Thus, the prince was left alone. He was still weak, but at the risk of losing his life, he, accept, he attempted that another period of meditation, saying to himself, Blood may become exhausted, flesh may decay, bones may fall apart, but I will never leave this place until I find a way to enlightenment. It was an intense and incompatible struggle for him. He was desperate and filled with confusing thoughts. Dark shadows overhung his spirit, and he was beleaguered by all the lures of the devils. Carefully and patiently, he examined them one by one and rejected them all. It was a hard struggle indeed. Making his blood run thin, his flesh fall away, and his bones cracked. But when the morning star appeared in the eastern sky, the struggle was over, and the prince's mind was as clear and bright as the breaking day. He had, at last, found the path to enlightenment. It was December 8th, when the prince became a Buddha at 35 years of age. From this time on, the prince was known by different names. Some spoke of him as Buddha, 
the perfectly enlightenment, enlightened one. Thathagata. Some spoke of him as Shakya Muni, the sage of the Shakya clan. Others call him the world-honored one. He went first to Mrigadava in Varanasi when the five mannequins who had lived with him during the six years of his ascetic life were staying. At first, they shunned him, but after they had talked with him, they believed in him and became his first followers. He then went to the Rajagriha Gasho and won over King Bimbisara, who had always been his friend. From there, he went about the country living on arms and teaching men to accept his way of life. He responded. Men responded to him as the thirsty seek water and the hungry food. Two great disciples, Sariputra and Moggala Liana, and their 2,000 followers came to him. At first, the Buddha's father, King, King Suddhodana, still inwardly suffering because of his son's decision, to leave the palace, remained aloof, but then became his faithful disciple, Mahaprasjapati, the Buddha's stepmother, and Princess Yashudara, his wife, and all the members of the Shakya clan became, began to follow him. Multitudes of others also became his devoted and faithful followers. For forty years, for forty-five years, the Buddha went about the country preaching and persuading men to follow his way of life. But when he was eighty, at Vaisali, and on his way from Rajakriha to Shavasti, he became ill and predicted that after three months he would enter Nirvana. Still. He journeyed on until he reached Pava, where he fell seriously ill from some food offered by Janda, a blacksmith. Eventually, in spite of great pain and weakness, he reached the forest that border Kusinagara. Lying between two large sala trees, he continued teaching his disciples until his last moment. Thus, he entered into perfect tranquility after he had completed his work as the world's greatest teacher. Under the guidance of Ananda, the, Buddha, the Buddha's favorite disciple, the body was cremated by his friends in Kushinagara. Seven neighboring rulers, as well as King Ahata Satru demanded that the relics be divided among them. The people of Kusinagara at first refused, and the dispute even threatened to end in war. But under the advice of a wise man named Drona, the crisis passed 
and the relics were divided among the eight great countries. The ashes of the funeral pyre and the earthen jar that contained the relics were also given to two other rulers to be likewise honored. Thus, ten great towers commemorating the Buddha were built to enshrine his relics and ashes.